Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 33. After Hours with Leo Gallegos, Part 2. Friends, welcome back to Pints with Jack, your C.S. Lewis podcast. This week is going to be a little bit different. This is my uh, second time I was invited on the Alto podcast. And so it's an interview of myself, actually, and more of a conversation, I should say, with Leo about vocation. And it was released on the Alto podcast feed last week, I believe, from when we're recording this. But we wanted to release it on our feed. We wanted to share it with you guys. Again, another opportunity to hear myself. Sometimes David has done talks and put them on here, just a chance to get another perspective of us talking about our faith and our spiritual journeys. This specific interview focused on vocation in my own specific journey with starting uh, an investment fund and and very much in relation to my relationship with God. And what was that calling? How did I feel him a part of that? How have I needed to depend on him throughout that process? And so a really lovely conversation with Leo. It was such a pleasure to be on that podcast. I love it. So definitely go check it out, guys. It's it's the Alto Podcast, A-L-T-O, very much inspired by Verso al Alto, which is like to the summits. Pier Giorgio Frassati is where that's from. And also Libertas Alive, which is the website. So many great things. So definitely go check that out. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Alto Podcast by Libertas. I'm your host, Leo Gallegos founder of Libertas, host of the podcast. Super excited, grateful, stoked that you're joining us today. Alto is a podcast meant to inspire, meant to challenge, meant to motivate us all to take our lives and our faiths to new heights again and again. Faith is holding on to in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. Holding on to in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. I love that explanation, that insight, so powerful. Probably the best insight or understanding of faith that I've ever heard. Definitely top three. And that came from my man, Matt Bush, who is our guest today. He's no stranger to the Alto Podcast. He was also on episode 29. So if you haven't given that one a listen, go give that a listen after you listen to this awesome episode. So in the past episode... We talked more about C.S. Lewis. Matt is very passionate about C.S. Lewis, and he's very knowledgeable about C.S. Lewis. He's the co-host of the Pints with Jack podcast, a podcast focused and centered on the work of C.S. Lewis. Uh, But in this particular episode, we talk a lot more about his personal life, his personal journey, his wrestling and battle with faith, and trying to understand and uncover and identify his vocation and kind of trying to unpack how he got to where he got to today. And this guy's charisma, energy, intelligence, insights, and just passion for the faith, passion for following God, passion for living in the truth is just unique. So I really wanted to have him on to talk about that and capture that so I can share that with you guys. And he definitely did that in this episode. Uh, A little bit about Matt, just so you understand where he's coming from and what we're going to be kind of discussing in this conversation Matt Bush is the founder and CIO of Trinitas Capital, which is an artificial intelligence-driven hedge fund, an AI hedge fund, uh, very unique in that sense. And he's the co-host, again, of the Pints with Jack podcast that seeks, it's a podcast that seeks to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity through the lenses of C.S. Lewis. Among many other things, he's also a graduate of the University of Notre Dame, studied at Oxford briefly while I was at Notre Dame as well. He's on the board of directors of the MNT Foundation, the International Business Council, which he mentions a little bit in this episode, and also on the board of Catholic in Recovery as well. I know Matt from our time in San Diego. And then a couple years after that, we, we did Exodus 90 together a few years ago. Such a great guy, such a great battler, such a great warrior. So good to, to get to know him better there and then to continue to get to know him as he's come on Alto and as I've listened to his episodes of Pints with Jack podcast as well. So again, grateful for him coming on and excited to share this podcast with you. So there's a lot of awesome themes in this particular podcast uh, that I'm excited for you to hear, uh, one of my favorite ones is this idea of burning the boat or burning the ship. It's, 
if you want to take the island, burn the boat. It's one of his mantras, one of his mindsets that he he shares. And it's this idea like, once you decide what you're going to do, you can't really have a plan B. You can't give yourself the option to make other choices. When you know you're going to do something, you got to burn those ships if you want to take that that island, if you want to accomplish that goal. And he models that and he did that very much when he went and launched his hedge fund. It was a big risk. There were so many unknowns. There was a lot of trust involved. He really had to step outside of the boat in uncharted waters. And in many ways, he modeled that in his life and in his launching of this hedge fund and in this managing of the hedge fund because it's it, you know, it's been a, a lot of steps of trust along the way. You know, he didn't really, and he continues not to leave uh, second options available to him so that he can focus on going all in on what he believes to be the right thing, what he really believes to be his mission, what he really believes God is calling him to. So that's one awesome theme. Another awesome theme, which is also the one that stands out to me the most, is this idea of theosis, this idea that God, Christ, became man so that we can become sons of God. Christ came into our humanity, into human flesh, so that we, in turn, by anchoring ourselves to Him, by by loving Him, by being in relationship with Him, that we can, in turn, participate in the divine life, a new way of being human. He's offering us continually, again and again, a new way a better way, a renewed way of being human. And this is an old, old principle right there from the very beginning, especially in the Eastern Church. And Matt does a really good job of bringing this up and explaining it, how it's been so core to his understanding, in his understanding of his vocation, and just how it could be so helpful for all of us. He explains as we kind of anchor ourselves to the Lord, as we do our best through the sacraments, through scripture, through prayer, through just trying to live a good and virtuous life. How our desires, our thoughts, our motives, um, our very being is transformed and renewed. And through that process, our desires, our talents can really lead us to the right decisions, can lead us to the right outcomes, to lead us to the right vocations or paths. And we kind of talk about, and he shares how like, you know, I think in our faith, sometimes we're really suspicious of our desires and of our dreams and of our hopes. And maybe that comes from a good place. You know, we don't want to choose a path that's selfish or that's not in line with God's will. But I think one of the things we really try to get out of this conversation, Matt so wonderfully uses his own example, his own story sharing, is that we can be a little more confident. We can trust that our desires are good and pure, especially if we're doing our best to orient ourselves to the Lord. So the step one is you do your best to orient yourself to the Lord. Now that doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. You know, you, you can't rush the decision, he explains. You have to you have to give it some time. But as you're orienting yourself towards the Lord and you're you're trying to fix your, your life, your eyes on Christ, you know, your desires are renewed and purified, and transformed. And then when you take an inventory of what your desires are, what your passions are, what your talents are, he says, lead with your desires and your talents, especially after you're oriented yourself towards Christ. Then you can have trust and confidence knowing that those are coming from a good place. But then once you make that decision, you know, once you burn those ships, you have to continue to Anchor yourself to the Lord. You know, you don't just do it once. You do it again and again throughout the whole process. You try to surrender yourself to the Lord, to the Lord's will. And even then, when you've even made the right decision and you're within the decision, there's still going to be dark periods. There's going to be periods of doubt. That's why you have to fight for what you knew to be true in the light. You know, when those moments of darkness come, you got to hold on to what you knew to be true in the light. And in Matt's case, you know, he talks, he's very vulnerable and open and honest that there's been some real trying times, some some periods where he really, really doubted heavily that he made the wrong decision or that he's on the wrong path. And he's had to really fight to hold on to what he knew was true in the light. And this really resonates with all of us. I mean, we're all trying to make important life decisions. And when we do identify 
our convictions, our passions, our goals, when we're chasing them down, when we're in the pursuit, when we're, you know, when we're hustling to try to make those things happen, there's always periods of adversity, of obstacles, of doubt, where we really have to fight for what we knew to be true in the light. We have to fight and hold on to our conviction, right? So this really speaks to that, and it's an amazing, amazing episode, and he does such a great job of sharing his insights from his own personal story and just things that I know will resonate with you in your own journey as well. So thank you so much for giving this a listen. You can follow Matt at Pints with Jack on all the socials. In addition, pintswithjack.com, and you can give them a listen on pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. And lastly, as you may or may not already know, you can see all the Alto Podcasts episodes and shop our merch at libertasalive.com. And I'd be grateful if you enjoy Alto, if you enjoy the conversations and the work we're trying to do, please rate, review, and share the podcast. Thank you so much. Let's go. Noon Cheppy, baby. My man, Matt Bush. Round two, the Alto Podcast. Yes. Yes. How you doing, brother? I am doing so well. You know, there's just a weight lifted off your shoulders when you're starting a new year. And most new years, I'm not a big new year's resolution person. People always ask, what's your new year's resolution? I'm like, I try to do my whole life is trying to be a new year's resolution. (laughs) Whenever I have a thought of wanting to improve something, I'm kind of trying to do it. But this year, it just feels so different because 2020, I know for so many listeners was just not the best year. And so I really made it immensely with the vaccine coming right before the beginning of the new years. It does feel like there's a marked shift. So all that was a long way of saying I am filled with hope, optimism, and I can't think of a better way to kick off this new year than starting it with you, my brother. It's just, it's so good to be back. Dude, I'm stoked, man. Well, okay. So we were chatting before the, uh, before uh, recording here, you mentioned that, you know, the end of last year actually rounded out, even though last year was, was a challenge for you. The end of last year though, rounded out pretty good for you. And then you said, you know, you've got this great momentum and energy coming into 2021. Dude, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I, I alluded to it on, obviously the last time I was on, Mm -hmm. I had talked a bit about my journey but I talked about it more from the personal perspective, more from the spiritual perspective. And we focused a good bit on C.S. Lewis. This this episode, we're going to talk a lot more, I think, about vocation and career and my own personal journey towards starting a hedge fund and how I got to where I am. That journey has its ups and downs and it got tough. My tough period, my trough period really started in 2019 when I was in New York City and that loneliness that somewhat came from that and some of the changes in 2020 was just essentially think of need for speed when they click those NAS buttons and it puts into hyperdrive. It was like hyperdrive for me of like the downward spiral. And so the end of 2020 work really started to turn around in a big way. I stayed convicted with what I was doing uh, in the markets from a performance perspective, from a strategy perspective. And at the same time, I was really working on some of my spiritual practices and saying to myself, with the hope of the vaccine, what are some things I need to change? And honestly, I've been on a great upward trajectory the last couple of months and going into 2021 work is like huge momentum. Honestly, it was the, the whole that performance, some of the struggles that I went through over a 12, 18 month period have dug out of them in like three months, not fully, but honestly like half of them. So it's been a gift from God. I'm coming with a lot of gratitude. I was really questioning, and I know we'll get more into this probably in this episode, but I was actually doubting my vocation. Did I get it right? Because when you <laughs> when you start something and you go through a rough patch that feels longer than it should, you really wonder, is this God's way of telling you you should be doing something else? Mm-hmm. And you just keep going back to the why, the beginning. I've mentioned this before. Faith is holding on into the darkness, what you knew to be true in the light. It's like, I knew this was my calling and I was really questioning it. So it got really dark And this turnaround right at the moment when it needed to happen. I felt like was God's way of saying, I taught you the lessons that you needed to learn in there. I was, I don't want to say testing you per se, because you don't know if God's testing you, if he's not, but you've, there's lessons that you needed to learn. And I feel like uh, I've learned some of them and I'm ready to start putting them and going to 2021. Awesome, brother. Well, dude, um, as you were saying that, it makes me think of two uh, important reasons, at least, of why this is why I'm so stoked to have you on, why it's an important conversation. Number one, so many people 
it's such a big area of our faith, of our life. And it's like figuring out, you know, if we're not called to the priesthood or we're not called to religious life, you know, that in many cases, that means, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time in our careers and our professions and our jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's not always easy to find that, that integration. So number one, I just would love to hear obviously your insights, capture some of your experiences and your insights on that journey for you. But also, man, like as an entrepreneur, I'm like a baby entrepreneur, you know, like we've done, like I've done Libertas, you know, now Alto, but it's, you know, we're just starting out. And just in this small level, I've seen the kind of work and the kind of risk and just the kind of just there's so much that goes into it that I didn't yes I didn't really like understand. Now I think of someone like you who you went into this unique niche of the market. You you went out on your own with a partner, but you know, you, there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of liabilities, a lot of unknowns. And then on top of that, you're managing in a very fast-paced environment other people's money, a lot of other people's money. So I'm scary. Like, yeah, I'm like, and for me, I'm like, I have, I'm nowhere near that. And I'm just still like, man, this is a lot, you know? And, and then I think of what you're doing and I'm like, wow, that's it's, something deep, you know, there's something deep there. And I was like, Hey, we got to talk about that. As a control, as a control freak, I think I might've chosen the wrong industry because <laughs> controlling performance of stocks is not very easy, but yes, it has been, it has been a big journey. And I will say the one thing before I've taking a step back and giving people a little bit of how I got to where I am. So they have some context. Mm-hmm. The one thing I do have that makes mine a little bit easier than yours in one sense is I don't have a wife or kids. So when I, when I went through that rough period, cause sometimes you obviously as a man, I, I get excited about marriage and I get excited about a family and I want a big family, but sometimes I'm like, God, you know, what's, what's taking so long here. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do this right. And sometimes I'm wondering if I just, I wouldn't have been in the right mindset in the last year and a half to do that. I don't know how, when you have a family to provide for, it just adds another level. And so at least I knew with this risk, the only one that's risking is myself at this stage and my own pride, my own ego failure and dealing with that. So I, I didn't have that added. So props to you there, man. Thanks, man. Well, I mean, either way though, that's still, I mean, you, you can only do, you know, you can only make decisions based on, you know, the decisions in front of you and based on your own circumstances, you know, and still, mm-hmm. that's still, you know, there's still a lot of virtue there. There's still a lot of, you know, a lot of de- depth there. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're going to get to impact some of that right now. So, you know, one of the things I was real interested to kind of run by you and, and ask you was like, you know, in terms of, especially prior to launching your fund, when you thought of the word vocation or purpose, uh, especially in of a career and integrating your faith. What did that really mean to you? Or, or how did you kind of like think of that and start trying to like navigate that when you, you know, when you're on that journey? Yeah. Let me take a step back. Well, let me first give you the listeners a bit of a view of what I do today okay. and a little bit of a step back. And then that'll lead perfectly into your, your question. So I started a few years ago, a hedge fund. And so I have had a love for the stock market since my freshman year of high school. So to some degree, I'm not sure I'm the best person to talk about this, although I think we will have a great conversation. And I actually knew really early on what I wanted to do. But what I do is I work in the hedge fund space. That means investing in the markets, very concentrated portfolios. You can use very unique techniques. So hedge fund is a very broad term. And there's dozens of different types of hedge funds. And with each of those subcategories, there's so many different ways to do it options, futures, long, short, currencies, interest rates. And your job, depending on your mandate and how you want to set it up, is to essentially generate strong returns and lower your risk. And so I love artificial intelligence. So I spend my days programming artificial intelligence and building a concentrated portfolio, 20, 25 stocks to attempt to beat the stock market. And Mm. clientele are high net worth individuals, pension funds, endowments, family offices, usually pretty sophisticated investors because of the level of risk of a hedge fund they have to be able to evaluate. So mm-hmm. I started a few years ago and the calling for it, I knew I wanted to run a hedge fund or start a hedge fund in high school. And so wow. I, I started investing in the markets before the financial crisis. I love math. I love problem solving. I opened up a brokerage account in 2007 with no understanding of how you invest in the markets. I remember buying Arch Coal, Chesapeake Energy, a bunch of energy (laughs) stuff. And this was when there was an energy boom. I was just, I was essentially a trend follower when I look in hindsight. I looked at a bunch of stocks that were doing well and I just bought them and they continued doing well. And so for the first year, I ended up making like 50%. I go, wow, this is like the greatest thing in the world. 
for all the wrong reasons. And even when the financial crisis began, commodities didn't fall or roll over. And so they, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here, my portfolio is going up and the market's going down. I'm like, oh man, I'm doing great. Yeah, and then all yeah. of a sudden the commodity- you started everything. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. And then the commodity bubble burst in July of 2008. I'll never forget being up at my grandparents' place watching TV and watching some of my stocks down 10, 15, 20% over the weekends, like in the futures. You could just see these things tanking. And I yeah. was like, oh geez. So all that's to say, that's when I was hooked. That's when I realized there's, there's, I need to figure out how this works. And so my entire life was driven towards that. My decisions in college were driven towards that, but I did go through a crisis in college after I had done a trip to Israel where I questioned as my faith deepens, whether you could be a hedge fund manager and still be a Christian. So I had a bit of a, a spiritual crisis there and I ended up doing a pre-med major for about a year and a half until I realized it was a love of mine and it brought me back to doing it. Then I worked out in San Diego for three years at a hedge fund and then left and started my own. So that's a bit of the backstory. But now with that context to answer your question, I would say prior to launching the funds, what I thought of vocation, purpose, terms of career in mind. Like I mentioned, I went to that period where I thought I needed to do something different because I didn't believe that the world really needed another hedge fund manager, but I wasn't being honest with my desire. And so I would say when I, when I did launch the hedge fund and actually go back into hedge fund space, I really realized vocation has a lot to do with desire. And I remember reading a quote, a quote that says where your greatest desires or passions meets the world's greatest needs is vocation. I love that. I would, I, I love I, it too. Yeah, I can't. I think it was like Frederick Beekner, maybe that said that. You're right. And I would add something to that talent as well. Desire plus talent plus need, because you can be passionate about something, and if you don't have the talent, and I hate to say that, you know, it's like, oh, you can always learn if you put ten thousand hours in, and to some degree, that's correct. But you also have to just recognize what your natural talents are, mm-hmm. and combine those together. So. I personally love the word desire. And I think that's one of the best starting points for figuring your vocational exploration out because desire tends to have a bad connotation. We always think of it as like impure desires. But in reality, if you really take a step back, our desires and our longings are what God gave us at our core. They're who we are. And they're really important to understand our desires. There's nothing wrong with our desires. They can be warped and the world can change them for the negative. And you want to get in touch with your genuine true desires. But I think that's the first spot. And then when you combine that with asking yourself, what are the talents that God gave you? For me, I had a love for the markets. I know I was quite good at math. I had finished high school math by my freshman year of high school. I was doing college math, sophomore year and going to local college. And so I just, math was my thing. And so knowing that those two come together. Now, the part that I do fudge a little bit is I'm not sure that the world does need another hedge fund. (laughs) And we can unpack that a little bit too of does vocation have to always directly be impacting the kingdom or are there ways that can indirectly be impacting the kingdom? But what ended up bringing me back to it was recognizing that the, the markets are important for a functioning economy. Capitalism can be very good for lifting standards and capital allocation is incredibly important to a functioning economy. So when I really realized some of those things, I was like, hedge fund managers aren't bad people when done right. Oh yeah, certainly. Well, and you know, I like what you pointed out there. Um, well, first of all, leading with desires. So good. Great, great way of presenting that. You know, you're right. We do have, I think, especially as Catholics, we have this like nervousness about desires because they can, mm-hmm. you know, we're suspicious of them. And yeah, I think maybe that comes from a good, from a good place to some degree, but in addition, that's also like how God also tries to work and through us and speak to us and move in us. And so it's it's not like can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we really yes. got to spend some time doing that deep work and really understanding, you know, what's really going on in there. And, you know, the other thing is, is like when we're spending time, you know, with the Lord as best as possible, it's never perfect. But, you know, we're spending time in prayer and we're trying to partake of the sacraments regularly when we're we're in the word. I mean we have to have a little more confidence that some of those desires are actually good, you know, and that they're from the Lord and, and they're not necessarily bad. You know, if we're, I mean, if we're out like doing crazy things, not living close to the Lord, uh, you know, making mistakes, uh, living in vice. And then we have those desires then, and then, then we could probably be more suspicious of them. But, you know, if we're trying yes. to do the right thing, uh, even though it's not perfect, uh, we should have a certain sense of confidence and know that, Hey, 
you know, this is probably from the Lord or more of it's from the Lord than not. But man, I also wanted to say about, because I, I think what you were alluding to is like, yeah, maybe the world doesn't necessarily need another hedge fund manager, but you know, and this is the thing, I think a challenge with, with us as Catholics is sometimes we tend to downgrade on the non-spiritual things. We tend to look down on the human side of things sometimes. Like, you know, we need, we need doctors, we need financial professionals, we need like hedge fund managers. And, and it might not be, it might be unforeseen uh, to some degree, but like you being in that driver's seat with a good heart, with a good conscience, with a formed conscience might make all the difference, you know, in some situations. So honestly, that's, that is how I have, maybe you want to say justify or rationalized it, but I think it's a genuine answer. I have thought about at a, at a surface level, as I already mentioned too, so I won't unpack that, but it's, it, it is a necessary role for a functioning economy, liquid capital markets with good capital formation. But beyond that, it's an area that has a lot of influence. So if I'm able to be successful, <clears throat> there's a lot of people in the hedge fund space that you can make it an incredible impact outside of that space through your resources. Some of the smartest people, because it's an incredibly competitive industry. And so the smartest end up rising to the top. And if you develop those relationships, I am not there yet. So I'm not trying to pretend that I am. But in 10 years, if I'm lucky to look back and realize that I've been, Lord willing, I've been able to ascend to that spot by his grace. And then to develop relationships with people doing incredible things, the impact that you can have that can be multiplied through that Mm -hmm. in those relationships and those connections in industry that's not normally very Christian. I remember when I was talking with some vendors and I had to delay the launch for a reason for a couple months. And I talked to a vendor and I apologized. And I remember she goes, Oh, don't apologize because I already signed a contract. And she goes, Don't apologize. We're happy just to wait a couple months, a few months. It's no big deal at all. Honestly, you're like one of the nicest people we've met. We're looking forward to working with you. And I don't remember being that nice, but I guess maybe people in the hedge fund space aren't that nice. So they're used to getting yelled at. So there's just a lot of ways where your vocation can touch other people's lives. I love that. Yeah. I totally agree, man. You know, I, I was thinking of Dr. Greg Botero. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him from Catholic mm-hmm. Psych. He, no. He's doing some great work. He's a, he's a clinical psychologist and he came on the Alto, I think episode 11. Anyways, he's done a lot of work on mindfulness and just helping people approach their psychology from a fully Catholic perspective and a fully human perspective. And one of his big things is that we got to get the human right. We talk a lot about, and especially in Catholic circles, we talk a lot about evangelization, right? Well, you know, what's, what's evangelizing is meeting a Catholic that is really alive, really alive and really like, engaged and and yes. you can be engaged you can be engaged in just in your career and you know be doing that in an excellent way and in a virtuous way and through hard work and through you know people seeing the everything you put into it that can invent that 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 means something you know there's a lot of value there and i don't think sometimes we we highlight or we focus too much on that and you don't necessarily have to be quoting scripture all the time or, or talking about the sacraments but like man i think excellence and working hard and yes. seeing your, seeing seeing the way you go after things, I think there's a lot of value in that and it means a lot to people. And, and that's just such a great way to represent the Catholic faith is what I mean. When I think of vocation, another way to answer your thing is, I think it's important to understand the desire. I think it's important to understand skills, needs, and bringing that together. That's more technical. But on a, on a surface level, like the first thing to do is exactly what you said, get on fire. The world just needs more passionate people in general. When you're on fire and you bring that into the world, you are already lighting it up, whatever you're doing. And it reminds me, I took this course at Notre Dame called Death and Rebirth, and it went through some of the big life questions, dying to yourself, being reborn, that journey, the spiritual journey. And I remember one of the big takeaways was, you don't have to get all these big life questions right. There's just a lot of pressure sometimes on those. Mm -hmm. And vocation being probably one of the biggest life questions you make. If you're just making your decisions with your eyes towards doing God's will and attempting to, even when you make the wrong turn, it's not really a wrong turn. It's just, you might have to pivot, but as long as you're doing it with your eyes on attempting to do God's will, you're making a right decision. And you might find that it wasn't the perfectly right one and you do pivot, but you're not going to be like, oh, that was some grand mistake. I I totally agree, man. Like, I feel like if you're doing your best to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, it's not like we're walking a tightrope. You have more freedom and more latitude than sometimes I think we give ourselves the leeway to have or, you know, or the right to have. Unless there are cases where, you know, someone's very specifically called 
to a specific vocation, you know, maybe, maybe being a priest in a, in a particular order, in a particular time, in a particular way. Mm. Now I know that does exist, but for a lot of the rest of us, I think sometimes expecting God to just kind of tell us what to, we're going to do in a way is kind of like a cop out. Sometimes yes. it's kind of like God's like, Hey, you've got, you've got rationality. You've got freedom. You've got all these, like you said, desires. and you have desires. Yeah. Yeah. Desires and talents. Like you just pointed out, I want you to bring me along, you know, anchor yourself in me, but like, let's, let's figure this out. Right. Let's get our hands dirty. And, and yeah, I think that's really, really good advice, man. Like I'm, I'm curious, you know, so a really great explanation of how you got to where you're at today. Uh, it was an, it was a, it was a cool journey. I didn't know about it. I like the way you, you kind of explained it. I'm wondering, are there any like practical steps or like books you read, treats you went on or things that happened in your life that helped really kind of get you to making that decision to, to do what you're doing now? Yes. I would say, well, I would say, first of all, the number one thing you can do is, and it goes back to that word desires, but it is to create the space to listen to your desires and figure out what your desires are. And so I have to admit my freshman year in even into early college, I didn't take a step back and ask myself in mindful meditation, God, what is my inner heart's desire and my deepest longings? <laughs> but indirectly, I really did. I would say if I look back into my high school days, I was incredibly intellectually curious. I was always exploring different things, trying different things, reading different books. At the time, I wasn't doing it to figure out my vocation, mm-hmm. but it actually all contributed to me coming to where I am. So if you think about what I mentioned earlier, that for a bit, I tried the doctor thing in Swiss pre-med because I thought to myself, I can't do a hedge fund and be a Christian. And then I really quickly learned that this isn't my desire and my liking and longing. I read different faith books. I was reading different philosophical books. And again, you're starting to learn about who you are as a person. And in that way, I did come back to realizing my deepest. I really do love the markets and I love that competitiveness and the intellectual challenge. So what I would say to provide a framework that I wish I would have done more specifically is create that space to listen to the desires of your life. So I don't know if you've ever read Parker Palmer. You ever heard of him? No, I haven't, man. Oh, so he has a book. I think it's called Let Your Lights let your life speak or listen to your life. And it's mm-hmm. all about vocation. And it's his book. He didn't get to his vocation until much, much later in life. But he actually says, he describes your true self. And true self could be related to your desires, your true desires, as this wild animal in a forest. And if you're trying to catch the wild animal, you don't go charging into the forest, but you actually have to be quiet for a couple hours. And sometimes let the animal come to you. That's how you end up, if you're hunting for deer, you let that come to you, but you have to be silent. The same thing with finding your own desires. You need to create that space. And too often we're going in a thousand directions with all these distractions and we never take a step back. So my first advice would be that. It would be create the space to figure out your desires. That's Mm. both through silence and solitude and through doing. In my case, it was a lot more through doing. (laughs) I just did a bunch of stuff and I eventually realized what I liked, what I didn't like. I was more fortunate to have done that in high school, in college, when it really didn't matter if I made a wrong choice, because that is mm-hmm. the time to explore. I, it's probably a bit tougher if you're 30 or 40 or 50, because if you have responsibilities, there's, there's things you have to weigh in there. Because so in a way, you kind of, you got your, like we were saying, you got your hands dirty and you kind of backed into it in a way. I did. And the other thing I would say, after really letting your life speak to you and listening to your desires and trying to get in touch with those even before that advice that I've actually given people, I've talked to this about, and you mentioned this earlier, develop and deepen your relationship with Christ. Let him form within you because it's going to be really hard. And you hit it spot on earlier when you said it's really hard when your desires are warped by the world. But if you are spending time in silence and solitude, you're spending time in Eucharistic adoration, you're spending time at mass, you're spending time in the word, you're praying novenas, you're developing a relationship with our blessed mother, you are being transformed. I, I might have mentioned this on the last episode. But, Theosis is the process of, of um, deification, divinization. 
it's that idea that we are receiving the divine life through the sacraments and Christ is forming within us in the way that he is fully man, fully human. And it's one of the most beautiful concepts. It is all of Christianity. The son of God became man. So man could become sons of God divinity. So as we do those practices, I just listed whatever they are to you and Christ is forming within you. Your desires are being more purified and more aligned with God's will. Now, when you spend time listening to your desires, I guarantee your desires will be quite different than prior to all of that transformation. Mm -hmm. So that's equally as important. It's not just like, well, Matt said, I need to spend two hours thinking about my desires. Hmm. Well, I (laughs) desire some food right now and I'd like to be rich and I'd like to go on a trip. It's like, until you've really formed those and realized what's true desires, it's going to be hard to listen to those. So I would strongly recommend that journey that we should all be on already, but it's very helpful. Absolutely, man. And I keep my, in my head, I keep going back to what you said about being on fire. Like the world needs more passionate, but more people mm-hmm. on fire. And I was just thinking of this. I love what you said there. I was just thinking of this image of like, it's better to have a person on fire and doing whatever job they're doing, as long as it's not evil or bad or you know wrong, mm-hmm. than to have somebody forced into something else because they think that's the right thing to do or they want God to do that and be mediocre or yeah. not really have their heart in it. The world doesn't need another mediocre this or that or X or Y. Um, instead, you know, you being on fire in, in whatever you're doing, again, as long as it's within the right framework, that's, that's what we need more of. And that's what our faith needs more of. And I, I love how you said that. And I um, even, and I even went on, I, I remember this quote, it's not a, uh, it's going to be a paraphrase, but I don't know where it came from. It said, when you die, God's not going to say, why weren't you Mother Teresa? Why weren't you Gandhi? Why weren't you C.S. Lewis? It's going to say, why weren't you Matt Bush? Why weren't who you're supposed to be? And mm. that's that's the whole point of getting that to your core desires. And I did. I even failed to mention, I went on a stint after the doctor thing. When I was at Oxford, I was doing development economics. I thought about taking my economics degree and my desire and understanding how economies work rather than applying it to making money in the market. What if I go to developing countries and help mm-hmm. lift them out in economic development? And so that's like the IMF, the World Bank, you should get like a PhD in economics. And when I was taking courses there, I was just so it wasn't me. I was so bored. I was depressed. I was like, this doesn't get me going. Mm-hmm. And it's just what you said. We don't need a, a bored, no energy, no life doctorate economist going to these countries. Like that just wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I was honest about that, but I did go down that path too and explore it. And eventually what's the thing that gets me excited was coming back to the markets. I really enjoy that. Do you have a way, I'm curious, like a lot of people are big in journaling or big in, especially like journaling in front of like, you know, an adoration or something like that. Did you have any process for you to kind of unwrap some of the things that were going going on inside of you? Sort of. I actually am pretty big into journaling. and that, But I would say it was indirect. I would go back to the thing I had mentioned of like theosis. And the other word I would use is self-actualization. So theosis is more of that Christ forming within you, finding mm-hmm. your true self. Self-actualization would be more of the worldly answer to that of as you, as you develop more skills, as you figure out who you are and become more self-actualized, it, it's easier to figure out your desires. Well, my journal, I wasn't, I never had a systematic process for figuring out my desires, but the journaling indirectly was helping me figure out who I am. I did a lot of journaling in college and it's, I still have all of them. So I have like four journals and I go back and read some of them and it's hilarious. My language was (laughs) kind of crude sometimes when I was frustrated and you realize how immature you are, but that's all part of the journey. And so, yeah, for me, journaling was it for me doing, doing was it, it you, I mean, literally sometimes you can overthink things. You, if you're not going to know, you don't like something until you do it. So I am always a big believer and make a decision, make it educated, do think about a bit, but make the decision. Don't be crippled by fear, pivot. If you need to pivot, it goes back to what I had mentioned before on our last time, but Ray Dalio, it's like, stretch yourself, make a goal, fail, diagnose the mistake, move forward. You can do the same thing with life decisions. 
here's an opportunity. It's going to teach me a lot. I'm scared. It's going to stretch me. I learned from it. I didn't like this. I did like this. I'm going to pivot and try this instead. Yeah. And, and keep- doing this, it's like real, the realistic real world way we grow instead of like, you know, sometimes we think things are just going to shoot up to the top. We're not going to mess up. Whether we're talking about our faith life, or we're talking about other goals or other areas, but in reality, it's this like, like you were saying, this stretching, like regressing and then stretching more, but getting higher every time we stretch. Yes. Um, one of my favorites that you like is um, burn the ships. I'm a big yeah. believer in that. That is, <laughs> I I have, so I've had a few people wanted me, wanted me to work for them prior. And I'm always very transparent with them. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to entertain this. And I just want to be very transparent with you. I guess if at some point God closes this door, I would, I would have a conversation, but as of right now, I'm all in. And I told him, uh, I believe in, if you want to take the Island, burn the boat. And it's amazing. Burn the boat, yeah. It's amazing how resourceful you become. And so I go, I can't have a plan B. I'm not going to entertain this. And so he's come back to me multiple times. He goes, so is the boat still burnt? And I said, <laughs> yep, <laughs> it is very burnt. It's, it's sunk. It's sunk. It's gone. Yeah, it's sunk. Yeah, it's, it's not in. Yeah, it's like at the bottom of the ocean, man. Uh, that's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, you would have had to. Is there a way to like? Did you kind of do that when you went in, all in on this? Uh, you know, on starting the hedge fund. Like, you know, did you invest a big chunk of your life savings? And I know, I know you actually you were in San Diego, you moved cross country too. So, I know you made some actual moves as well. Was it kind of like that? You kind of positioned yeah. yourself to where well, the kind first. Of went all in? The first move was actually, I jumped before I had the investment strategy. Oh, wow. So you could take the route of working in the evenings maybe. And so I was, I had pretty long days. So I don't think that would have been physically or mentally feasible, but in theory, you could have burned the midnight oil and spent three hours for a year or two building it and then jumped when you had all your ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. But as Richard Branson said, an entrepreneur jumps off a cliff and then builds the airplane. It's like, I jumped, obviously educated jump, by the way, Mm -hmm. you know, I know how to do data analysis. I know how to do programming. I understand the markets. I I saw there was an opportunity, but it took me three months of coding and I didn't know AI as well as I needed to know. And so I had to essentially with no salary code for three months straight of like 50, 60 hours to just get myself up to speed with the AI and then do the data analysis to build the strategy of how I envisioned it. And I didn't know if it would actually work in the end. I guess in theory, I still don't know. <laughs> Only know in 20 <laughs> years from now if it really worked. <laughs> but yeah, so that's one. And then, yes, financially, I actually even set up the fund. They actually call it in Harvard Business School, catalytic mechanism. So do you set mm-hmm. up these things that really force you to, they're like catalyzers. And I set it up the fund where I bear all of the expenses. A lot of times hedge funds will organizational legal costs, fund administrator, audit tax, the things that are necessary for ongoing operations actually get expensed to the fund. So they are part of like the performance. So if they cost mm-hmm. 0.1% of your total assets, it just comes directly from the partners. I said, I'm going to cover all that. And wow. only thing I will do is I charge the, the fee and then I only make money if I perform. So it's like management fee and then the performance fee. And if I don't do well, it will be even right from the beginning. Cause I started with minimal assets right from the beginning. It was if I don't perform, it's a negative year for costs. Cause I know the management fee was lower than my costs. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, I guess from both of those perspectives, it was, it was all in. And then, then what happens is when you bring in outside investors, cause I also could have just built a track record myself with my own money for a few years and it would have kept the costs lower and I would mm-hmm. have had no reputational risk I, but without telling people I'm doing it. And then all of a sudden, let's say you have a phenomenal three-year track record, then you come out to people and you start selling mm-hmm. it. And that doesn't put the pressure on you though, because if you fail and no one knows you're failing, it's not that scary. And you can just go back to your life by having outside investors, people whose actual money was on the line. It really forced me to like be all in because these people, oh, I mean, I've had before a bad email come to me from an investor angry at one point. Um, and it's like, it's a very, it's a very scary thing. And you got to talk that through and because you're not going to have perfect periods. And when you build a strategy like I did with concentrated portfolio, you're going to have big swings. And yeah, so all of those ways come together of how I burned that boat. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you, you look back and you go, if I knew the stress, would I have done it again? I mean, the answer is <laughs> yes, but... <laughs> 
Dude. The boat's not there, so there's no choice. <laughs> it's gone, man. So uh, two things, man. It makes me think of, well, number one, it makes me think of that Ender's game, Harrison Ford. He yes. says, and this was our fraternity name with Exodus 90. You're never ready. You go when you're ready enough. You're never ready. Yes. You go when you're ready enough. You know, like, yeah, you definitely want to be strategic. You definitely want to like be smart. You don't want to do anything rash or irresponsible. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, you're like you said, you can paralyze yourself in like preparing or analyzing or, you know, try it for the perfect timing. I will say this to anyone who's considering this. If you are building a product or a service or whatever it is, if you if you or if you're called to the entrepreneurial life, maybe you're not, and that's okay. If you are and you wait until it's perfect, you're too late. I now see that even better. But Steve Jobs had said that I'd known that quote before. And you, you need market feedback. You don't know exactly what the market needs. And so I've actually, because of being the president of um, the International Business Council, it's a not-for-profit and I volunteer my time there and we've built an online community. And I remember we built an initial product that we thought Notre Dame alumni would enjoy using and it has drastically shifted since then. What months and months, now that was a very long process because we're all volunteers, but it was weekly calls for six months, building a vision, a strategy, a product, developing it, going to and realizing, wow, we really missed the mark. And then just quickly pivoting and saying, all right, well, here's the parts that people are using. Here's the parts that are not. We need to adjust. Here's a 2.0 quickly. And I'd heard even the Instapot guy say that he uses Amazon reviews to massively, I mean, to, to adjust quickly a feedback mm-hmm. of how to make the product better. So definitely don't wait until it's perfect. Wait until it's good enough and good go. Love it, man. Cause you, and you can take that mindset, you take that wisdom and yes, you can apply it. Obviously, like we're talking about business right now, we're talking about launching your own product or service, but we can also apply it for so many other things in our lives, you know, <laughs> you know, whether we're, we're talking about something in our faith or something relationship wise or something, you know, just wise, for example, maybe we want to we try to branch out and take this new job, or maybe we want to uh, go this direction in life. And we're not sure, you know, like we can apply that same framework, that same mindset and all those things relevant in that. And um, I was going to ask you though, the other thing that jumped out to me was, I was just curious, because even now, you know, I can tell you have a lot of conviction and your drive in your you know, and what you're doing right now, it's, it's deeply rooted. But even then, is there still a component of like unknown and a component of trust in that? <laughs> oh, no, it's super clear all the time. It's, all, it's all clear, right? All clear, easy, cakewalk. It's a, <laughs> Never it's a any doubt. Never any doubt. What's doubt even mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, as I had mentioned in the beginning, and I can unpack a little bit more, but I went through deep doubt in the middle of 2020. I would say it got its worst in August, August, September. I was starting to really question because honestly, up until that point, I will say this, most of the a couple big decisions in my life were about the clearest things in the world. So I'll never forget the moment when I chose three really clear moments. My moment of Oxford, <clears throat> when it all came together and I applied to that program, I remember just knowing the the persons that the people that wrote my letters of recommendation, the the, the way that things lined up, I said, God, this just seems like it's meant to be. And then I remember I got waitlist and I was like, what? How did I miss this? And I emailed her and I said, what are the chances I get in? And I was first alternate. And she goes, unfortunately, in my entire career, no one's backed out. Sure enough mm-hmm. that year, someone backed out. And I was like, oh my goodness, God, you just wanted to show that you did this, not me. It wasn't my natural abilities, <laughs> but you needed to, to do that last step. But I just remember having peace that somehow that was going to work out. Then my San Diego, the decision to go to San Diego and the way it all just fit together. And I don't know if people can glean some lessons from this and maybe it's not correct. There's, there, just because there's peace doesn't mean there's not fear, but it just it, a deep something deep within me knew San Diego was the right decision. The way I had met my boss, the, the scenarios that lined up the pieces of the puzzle just really fit. So I will say that always seemed to fit. I got offered an insane amount and even I had probably eight of 10 people tell me I was not making the right choice in Chicago, working at this investment fund that was honestly not a ton of, it was, it was like 40, 50 hours of work week. And it was well into the six figure salary kind of thing. And I was like, Holy mm-hmm. cow, this is great. And I just didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't challenge me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I had a lot of peace about that. No worries. And I had a couple people like, you're crazy to turn that down. I was like, mm-hmm. easy. Then the hedge fund was the same thing. The way it lined up, 
And so I'm going with all that is despite that, then the first year and a half went phenomenal. I mean, just too good to be true. Probably the point where this is why I had to go through a rough period. And then some really dislocations happened in the market that I was fighting a trend that kept going against me. And thank goodness it's turned now and turned quickly. But for about a year and a half, 18 months, I was in a dark spot. And I was like, to the point where I wasn't sure if it was going to be able to dig out of the hole. And I was like, God, what am I missing? Like, I just don't see. And I kept coming back to him. And I actually, I go to this quarterly retreat in Chicago and I have this spiritual group that meets five of us outside of it. And I started talking with them and I, I actually, for the first time ever started asking, is this the right thing for me? I've just had such conviction that it was the right thing. And what I really always fell back on was uh, St. Ignatius, his spiritual exercises of discernment. He talks about yeah. consolation and desolation. You've got physical and spiritual. And I was in both a spiritual desolation and a physical desolation because of COVID and loneliness in my spiritual life. And he says, don't make decisions in states of desolation. And I was like, now is not the time to like discern out of this per se, mm-hmm. to, because I'm feeling really down for both external circumstances and things that are out of my control. And Matt, go back to the moment. And this is maybe some advice I'd have for people because you will go through dark periods. Go back to the moment where you trusted that this is what God had for you. Remember that moment, hold on to that and carry that into here. And then also help visualize getting through to the other side. How do you feel in that state? Where will you be? And those things really got me through it. So yes, there's a huge unknown. There's a huge trust component. Honestly, if there's not a lot of unknown I'm not really sure if it's vocational. Like I feel like the part of the the point of vocation is it stretches you into the unknown. And I don't know if you've read Wild at Heart by oh, John yeah, Eldridge. Definitely. I did his retreat and he talks about the three levels of adventure and he puts like starting a business or something of that nature as the second level adventure. The third level of adventure, the highest level, which gives you the greatest fulfillment is bringing the kingdom of God to other people, like the vulnerability of that pursuit of evangelization. But the second one he gives is, starting something or doing something that's scary that requires utter dependence on God. And I will tell you what, in the beginning, I was praying a rosary a day for like the first year with the fund. And then I actually, because my spiritual practices fell, stopped that and had to restart it. But I did 54 day prayer novenas in 2019 for rosary prayer novenas. I did another one in 2020, like God, I really need your help right now. It really forced me to my knees in many, many circumstances. It brought me to tears at one point in front of the Blessed Sacrament, which ultimately I think is part of the process. Like that's that's what he wanted. He wanted me to know that Matt, your arrogance, your ego, your self-sufficiency, your belief that you can do this all on your own is going to get you in trouble. And I need to teach you that you need me. That's That's a big lesson I think he was trying to teach me. Gosh, I love that so much, man. Like if you're really reminding me of St. Jose Maria Escriva and like how he so emphasizes our relationship with the work, right? You know, the sanctification mm-hmm. of work. And like, you know, sometimes we don't even have to rationalize it too much or like explain why it's why it's valuable like to evangelization or valuable to the world or valuable in terms of the, uh, you know, for a particular product or service, but it's valuable right there because look mm-hmm. what, look what your external vocation did inter- interiorly to you. You know what I mean? Like, and what it's continuing to do, like that toil that, that you have to bring to your work every day and all the ups and downs with it. It's like in a dialectic with your, you didn't know I knew that word, right? <laughs> well it's, done, Leo. It's, I looked that up before, man. It's in a dialectic, your job and your faith are in this like- What does dialectic mean, by the way? Asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll have another episode on that. Uh, <laughs> just that. But yeah, you're like, there's this dance between like your work and your interior life. What's so cool is that that's available to all of us, man. Yes. Um, if you're called to work in ministry or to work in something directly linked to faith, that's awesome. But you can also have an amazing, extraordinary like career to the faith directly or anything like that. But draw so tr- such tremendous fruit to grow what you're experiencing, right? You know, as we speak, literally. And and that's a really important point. Your biggest vocation is, and the ultimate vocation is communion and intimacy with God. We're all called to that. Like that's our deepest, honestly, going back to what I was talking about, that's our deepest desire, I would argue, is to Mm -hmm. be deeply intimate, to be, to know God as he fully is and to be known by God as he fully sees us and to see ourselves that way. So ultimately going off what I said in the beginning, that's our deepest vocation. So connecting that to this 
call it subvocation of temporal vocation. If you're offering up and your work is sanctifying you, you're already way ahead of the game. And if it's monotonous work, but you're finding the sanctity in it, there's a deep beauty in that. And GK Chesterton was big about that. He called it the sausage person. There's just something about the person that at the sausage stand that had such a simplicity of life, but went home and he offered up his work and did it with joy and passion with those. And then went home to his family and provided and was there. And there's just, there's a beauty to it. And he really loved it. And he just thought that more people needed to see that. And so we can obviously glorify and talk about starting things and careers, entrepreneurships. If you're not called to that, that's okay. But realize what you're called to can still is to to be sanctified. Yeah, man, that dialectic, baby. <laughs> dialectic, I love that. And I will say in my, I started a question too. I actually looked at it as a challenge. So for a bit, the physical desolation I was experiencing, partly induced by work, was causing some of my spiritual habits to go the negative route. And I thought to myself, man, if I don't turn this around, God might not actually, and I don't know if this is theologically a correct statement, but I thought, he might not allow this to be successful because if, if my work is negatively impacting my spiritual life constantly into perpetuity, that's not what God wants. And that was the, the strand of thought that was making me question vocation. But then I thought to myself, that's actually, that part's in my control. It's negatively impacting me because I am not surrendering it to God. I am not going to prayer. And so that's when things really started to turn around spiritually when I realized, no, 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 no. You, you don't have control of the outcome of the business side of things, but you actually do have control of offering up and allowing it to sanctify you no matter what the outcome was. And so I really started focusing on that. That's when I would bring in some of the novenas. That's when adoration would come. That's when I'd get on my hands and knees and say, God, I offer this up to you today. I offer my eyes. What am I supposed to read? What content am I supposed to consume? I offer my hands. How am I supposed to program? I offer my mind. What thoughts do you want? Today, what I do, productivity, thoughts, programming, it's yours, God. I mean, that's all I can do. I remember doing something very similar when, when I first learned about, you know, Jose Maria Escriva and, you know, his vision on, you know, sharing our work with the Lord. And I remember being at, I was working at Catholic University mm-hmm. and I remember going to the crypt church underneath the uh, National Basilica and I would just sit there and I was like, I don't even really know how to sanctify my work, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, whatever energy I have, uh, I'm doing for, even though some of them are not totally pure, you know, some of them may be selfish, ambitious. And then I also just tried to think, well, also like, who can I like offer this up for as well? You know, like Liz, the boys, my mom and dad, other people, coworkers. And I just like, look, Lord, please just, you know, even though I don't necessarily know how to do this or what to say, like, please just, you know, Help me to just, you know, share this with you. And I, I think, I don't know. I hope that was enough. <laughs> and you made a good point there of you had an open disposition. And I think that's also a very important phrase, word to openness to God's will for you. And sometimes the opportunity presents itself and you jump on a at Catholic U, and maybe some things didn't line up. Maybe some things did. At some point, you didn't really realize Libertas would eventually pop up, but something came up, it did, whatever it was led you to do that. I didn't intend to start it at the time I did. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that part of the story, but it was, I intended maybe my thirties to do this. And then my grandfather had a stroke. And when he had that stroke, it made me realize I wanted to be closer to home. And then I thought to myself, what do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to do this eventually, but I didn't think I'd do it for another like five plus years. But I thought to myself, you know what? We're at the beginning of the AI revolution. There's an opportunity here. Now might be the time to strike and be at the early side of this curve. Timing is everything a lot of times with business. And so the timing, that's how that popped up. It wasn't as if I was spending every single morning for six months asking myself, God, is the time now? Is the time now? Is the time now? Is the time now? I've always had an openness to it. I was excited for it. I was moving forward. And when the opportunity came, I saw it. Sometimes you just have to see what's in front of you. And having that open disposition helps you. Love it, man. We're going to have to do another one of these, man. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to make a series here, the Matt Bush series. Yeah, brother, this is this is good. A lot of amazing insights. I keep thinking about what you said about, you know, the world needs people on fire. These people living with passion and purpose. Um, and that's attractive, dude. We talk about a lot of ways mm-hmm. to make the faith attractive. That's pretty, pretty darn attractive, man. Matt, I always like to uh, give listeners a way to, you know, just be able to learn more about you, track you. 
Uh, I know you, you're doing some awesome things. Could you just tell listeners a little bit about how they can learn more about you or, or follow you? Yeah. Main way, we didn't talk about this on this one, but if you listen to the last one is the Pints with Jack podcast. So one of my passion projects outside of professional work that I do is the CS Lewis podcast. And we dive into his works in depth and I've learned so much wisdom. A lot of what I brought up in here was actually from that, that spiritual formation. He, he has been instrumental in that. So we're going through the screw tape letters right now. I would say for anyone who's on a journey, anyone who's had a tough 2020, tough COVID, Screwtape Letters is about Satan's way of trying to tempt us. It's been one of the most helpful frameworks for me for learning what happened in 2020 and getting out of it spiritually. And so check that out. It's Pines with Jack. And I am super accessible. I reply to every email, almost every email, most emails Dave and I do. So if there's something that you actually want to like, if you want to ask a follow-up question or anything of that nature, obviously you can send Leo something. I assume Leo, you've got some contact stuff, but if not, on our website, we also just have a contact form. And awesome, pints with Jack. Yes, sir. Uh, Pintswithjack.com. Awesome. I'll put all that in the in the notes like we did before. And be sure if you haven't done so already, go give a listen to episode twenty nine, lessons from C.S. Lewis navigating the highs and lows of life with my man Matt. In addition, to, of course, this episode as well. Uh, Matt, dude, you're you're an awesome, awesome guy, awesome friend, and I'm so glad we got to spend this time together, man. Oh, Leo, it was a blessing to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're blessing my life. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man, me too. And we're going to have to do this again, man, sometime. Hey, count me in. All right, brother. Let's go. God bless. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Nuke check. Let's go. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. It was so much fun to be on there. I was so grateful for him to invite me on and to be able to have that conversation, a little bit different than what we usually do on Pints with Jack. So, as we wrap this up here, guys, please, uh, as always, it's so helpful when you guys rate, when you subscribe, when you share with your friends, when you share on social media. We continue to grow organically. Everything we have done has been organic growth, and so we are so grateful for all of that. You guys have no idea. So if you like this and you think someone could benefit from it, definitely share it. Go check our Instagram, Facebook, uh, Patreon if you feel called to support us. It's been a blessing to have so many of you guys a part of that specific sub-community for our Patreon supporters. You guys are just incredible. And we look forward to you guys joining us next week when we will be going further up and further in. Cheers!